The GameCube is Cool podcast is a recorded and produced show from Toronto, Canada. If you want to support the show, you can go to patreon.com forward slash the GameCube was cool to find our $1 and $5 a month tiers. Special thank you to our Patreon supporters for the month of November. Ira Bell, Dan Wagner, Jed Winters, Christopher Valenz, Joey Sirico, Resident Evil Collector, and Tristan Pantorado. The GameCube, GameCube was cool. Hosted by Mike Lane and Neil Gilbert. So, Mike, I had an interesting idea for a, a business idea here. I know that I had a few ideas a couple months ago. We talked about opening up a bar. This one is slightly more depressing, but uh, we, we were driving past a graveyard the other day. There's a lot of mm. cemeteries around where I live, and it was Halloween uh, the day that we drove by it. And I was thinking, like, I wonder if it would be disrespectful. It definitely is. But, like, why, you know, it's disrespectful to, like, create, like, a haunted walk through a graveyard. Like, I, mm. I really love haunted walks. They usually take place in parks and schools and places that aren't scary. It would be great to have, like, a haunted walk through a graveyard. So... I was thinking, like, it would be nice if you had the option to say, like, you know how you can donate your body to science? It would be nice if you could donate your body to entertainment <laughs> or at least your gravesite to entertainment. Like, look, we're going to bury you in this graveyard just so you know they film things here or something like that. I think it would be yeah. good to, like, have a plot. Like, it's a do what you want with your, you know, your dead relatives. It's all great. But, like, for me, it's just a colossal waste of space. <laughs> I, I'm sure people would be super down to do it because it, like, it would be like a fad almost. It's like, mm-hmm. oh, this is – I can see this in some – some article being like, oh, this is the new fad for young people yeah. signing out to to, to, yeah. to soon be dead in a graveyard. I mean, like, you're, it's just going to be a stone that your relatives, hate to break it to you, are never going to visit. So, like, you might as well have it set up where, like, maybe they can film, like, they can put up these haunted walks. I'm not for, like, people uh, vandalizing it or anything. I'm not saying you can spray paint on it or anything. But, like, it'd be nice to have a place where you can go, like, maybe sit down and read or something. Like, in a, in a, in a this is really depressing. But... Uh, <laughs> Just like, like, I hate how, like, you know, when you go to a graveyard and you're loitering in it, no one's, so, like, you just, like, seem so to get... That's what you do? Do you loiter in graveyards? <laughs> you're making this sound like a, it's, a daily activity It's an epidemic. You. It's, oh, it's it's a huge thing I love to do. Just kidding. But I was just thinking, like, it'd be nice if, you know, if uh, if, if we could have, like, a haunted house through a graveyard. It'd be, it'd be good. Like Scooby-Doo. It would be nice to do that. It, it would also be nice to have, like, a themed graveyard, I'm thinking. Ooh. You know, I, I would like to be part of a theme. Yeah, because every graveyard is the same theme, and it's exactly. just bleak. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm thinking maybe a Scooby-Doo graveyard theme okay. is where mm. I can bury you. Okay. Yeah, just be funny. Hanna-Barbera like, land. Like a, <laughs> like a ride coming through. Here lies Neil Gilbert. He lived to be 32. <laughs> but he loved Scooby-Doo for every minute of his life. This graveyard was dedicated to him and his memory. <laughs> That'd be fantastic. Speaking of Halloween and uh, movies, I watched Nightmare on Elm Street last week for the first time. The, uh, the, the original. The original. Because we, we did our little uh, review mm-hmm. uh, about Freddy vs. Jason and where uh, Freddy's obviously from. Co-starred in uh, Freddy vs. Jason in 2003 or whatever it was. But uh, no, 1984's Nightmare on Elm Street was uh, obviously – it's obviously a cult classic and a lot of moviegoers love it, especially horror horror fans. I'm going to I'm gonna come on and say that movie sucks. <laughs> oh, ooh, ooh, unpopular opinion here. Controversial unpopular. opinion. It could be that I wasn't in the right frame of mind and I was expecting like a, a really good like cinematic movie. But like it doesn't age well. I'll give it that. I can see mm. how like at for the time it was probably pretty good. 
But there are horror movies from that generation that have aged so much better. Like I think of Alien and The Thing. The Thing, yeah. Yeah, those two, John Carpenter and Ridley Scott's movies, like they all age super well. And this movie, just like something about it, it's just the dialogue is terrible. Uh, (laughs) The effects don't really look super good. Uh, every time Freddy shows up, it turns into a Michael Jackson music video for some reason. Like the music does not fit the tone of the film. It's Johnny Depp's earliest movie. He's like 16 in this movie. Yeah. There are certain scenes where it's like, oh, this is cool. And it's a really cool concept. Like I love the idea of, uh, of Freddy Krueger and I haven't seen all of the movies in the, in the series. I'm going to try and go back and watch them all. Cause from what I understand, this is the highest rated one. And I got to say, oh. Mike, I don't see it. I, I don't well- see it. Well, people, uh, uh, any listeners out there who are strongly disagreeing and shaking their head right now to Neil, please uh, DM us and uh, say how wrong Neil really is. It's a great, like, it's a great concept. It's a great character. I love the idea of it. Like, the deaths are cool and, and neat and whatnot, but it's just like... Like, why does Freddie write his name in his hat like he's a six-year-old going to day camp? <laughs> in case he loses it, in case, you know, someone might have the same hat, Neil. Maybe, I guess. There's just, like, really bad effects. Like, I'm, this is spoilers. But, like, at the very end, you see the mom get, like, ripped through a window, and it's clearly a mannequin. Like, it's not even... <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, it's made on a budget, and uh, and it's, it's, it's easy to go back and, like, criticize movies from 37 years ago. But I just want to say, like, from a 2021 lens, the movie is not very good, but... Yeah. Yep. Anyway, a movie that is good still is Nightmare Before Christmas. And I put up a poll on Instagram on Halloween night because I wanted to know, uh, do you watch Nightmare Before Christmas on October 31st or November 1st? Because obviously that movie starts as Halloween is ending. So for me, it's a November 1st movie, but uh, the results are in, Mike. And uh, 63% of our voters say that they watch Nightmare Before Christmas on Halloween. Yeah, you know what? I'm I'm part of that 63. I voted that I also mm-hmm. watch it on Halloween. I know you're a November 1st guy, but mm-hmm. for me... Nightmare Before Christmas is such a Halloween movie. I don't consider it a Christmas movie at all. And so if I watch it after Halloween, you know, I feel like it's 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 kind of passe at that point. Yeah, I can see that. But like it it starts with Halloween ending. (laughs) I know. Oh, I understand. I understand. I just uh, me and the other 63 percent, you know, we feel different. Apparently I'm in the minority here. (laughs) Clearly I'm in the minority, but uh, I'll be watching it. uh, I'll be watching it after Halloween this year, as I do most years, because it's a perfect bridging the gap between holidays. I never thought it was one or the other. There is a strange feeling that week after Halloween where the decorations are still up, the pumpkins are all rotting and uh, there's not there's no movie that quite fills that void. And uh, other than Nightmare Before Christmas, there's no other movie. Halloween really is like a super cutoff holiday, right? Like it's, it's, you can't do anything after the 31st. Like you can't have a Halloween party after <laughs> Halloween. Like that is the, no. th- that'll never work, right? No. It has to always be before. Uh, I can't think of a whole, ho- like even like Christmas, you can celebrate Christmas after Christmas. Like it's like, that's a totally normal thing to do. Family comes over on the 27th, 28th. Like mm-hmm. that's a... Very standard thing. Like Thanksgiving, even like Easter. Yeah, really, it, it's whatever you can do it. But like no one is like trick-or-treating on November 5th. <laughs> yeah. I was just, my, my girlfriend and I, we just watched that episode of Parks and Rec the other night where uh, Ron Swanson takes like his girlfriend's daughters out trick-or-treating on like no, right. November 8th because they he screwed yeah. up. <laughs> They're going to he's houses. Like, he's like putting a 20 in everybody's, yeah. <laughs> everybody's thing. That's a perfect example of that. It just does not work. They get like vitamins and a tube of uh, cookie dough or whatever. Yeah. That was a hilarious, hilarious episode. But good point, Mike. Thank you. Yeah, Halloween's a weird holiday. Mike, Tristan from Patreon writes in, and Tristan wants to know, Hey, Mike and Neil, what do you think Link's next companion should be, or which companion would you like? I liked how Wolf Link appeared in Breath of the Wild. 
perhaps it'd be neat to have a loft wing in Breath of the Wild too. So Tristan wants to know who uh, who we would like to see as Link's next companion. We've had mm-hmm. fairies and swords and hats and and wolves. So Mike, who would, do you have uh, any idea on who what? what or who you would like to see as Link's next companion in Breath of the Wild 2. We know nothing about the next game, really, in terms of companions. So uh, the slate is clean. Who would you like to see? Well, so I, I thought I thought for a long time about this. I, I, I took a walk. I, I, <laughs> I had some, like, solemn music play in the background. You listened while to Simon was... and Garfunkel while you were walking down a pier. Hello, darkness, my old friend. <laughs> oh, and I was Cecilia. Just stroking my non-existent large beard. Nice. I thought to myself, you know what would be cool is if they went in a bit of a different direction for companions and had it basically be Zelda and Link together. Okay. Uh, and and judging by what we've seen so far and what rumors are out there, it, it looks like there's a good chance that you will be playing as Zelda as well as Link. Okay. Um, and so it would be really cool to kind of go back and forth and have like Link beside you the whole time when you're Zelda and vice versa. Okay. It would it would definitely change up the series in terms of the formula and the standard that mm-hmm. that there's been there for so long. But I mean, look at Breath of the Wild; that completely yeah. Yeah, <laughs> changed exactly. everything. So you know the the doors are wide open, and so that's kind of what I would like. I would like a, a human companion in that sense, or okay. I guess an elf companion. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's, he's human enough. That's a good point. See, for me, when it comes to controversial opinion number two, when it comes to <laughs> Zelda companions, I've never like it's never really made a big difference to me other than like navi because navi is just like a meme at this point exactly you've got the listen and hey uh you know like the fairy the boy the elf with the fairy make makes a lot of sense (laughs) i love wolf link like i end up loving the the companions but i never go into it like being excited for the companion or thinking the companion was even my favorite part uh but what i would like to see and this is another flipping zelda on its head is having a lot of the times or a lot of the old zelda games the the game kind of starts off like it splits in half clearly where like you have like the first couple of quests where you're collecting uh, gems or coins or whatever it is. And then, you know, you collect your six shards of whatever, and then you start a bigger quest and you do like the, the extra dungeons and whatnot, like in Ocarina of Time, how like half that game uh, is spent just like gathering up the sages. And then the next half of the game is collecting the other things. What I would like to see, and this would be something kind of cool would be like, if the, like the villain of the first half of the game, like you start off the first half of the game with no companion. Maybe it's like an owl or whatever, you know, one of Link's random animals that he can talk to. And then <laughs> you have like this villain throughout the first half of the game that you think is going to be the big bad. Not a Ganondorf, someone new. I'd like to see a new villain uh, in a Zelda game. And then that villain halfway through the game becomes your companion somehow because there becomes like a bigger enemy that comes out. Like this random person that maybe showed up at the beginning and it's like a twist and he was maybe good or at least on the you know neutral team or whatever or he just comes out of nowhere and now mm-hmm. link has to sort of pair up with this villain that was you know the bad guy for the first 10 to 15 hours of the game maybe he's a ghost at this point because he died or his he's got a spirit or something like he's unconscious of course because no one ever dies in zelda games except for yeah. ganondorf <laughs> uh but like link kind of partners up with uh with the villain because i i'm trying to think has that happened in any of the zelda games I'm, i haven't played i haven't played all of them there's some of the handheld ones that i've missed but i don't think so yeah like he's never paired up with ganondorf like that would be another completely flip <laughs> like something bigger than ganondorf shows up and now these two have to pair up and fight yeah think, yeah be, yeah yeah I think both of you and I are on the same page here where we'd like to see something new where it's not just like some magical tool or some uh, fairy or an animal. Because even the wolf, like Wolf Link was a very different thing, wasn't that? Like that was a huge part of Twilight Princess that I really liked Mm -hmm. and is definitely my favorite part of Twilight Princess, I would say. 
Oh yeah, uh, because it's unique, right? So I think another unique scenario would would do a lot of justice to this great great franchise. Yeah. So is is uh, Wolf Link your favorite uh, Zelda companion then throughout all the years? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 I I really like uh, Tattle and Tail from uh, oh. from Majora's Mask. Okay. Right. Yeah. That's that's a pretty good one. Yeah. I I, I love Twilight Princess a lot more than other people. So. <laughs> yeah, you rank it way too high, man. But we're gonna talk about that in like a year, so we'll dish it out then. <laughs> yes. Exactly. All right. But Tristan, thank you so much for writing in. Listeners, remember, if you want to support the show, you can go to Patreon.com/slash The Game Key Was Cool. If you support us at the five dollar or above level, you get your name read in the credits at the beginning of the episode and the option to submit an opening topic, just like our friend Tristan did. So Tristan, thank you so much for uh, writing in this week. And if you want to leave us a review on any of the podcast services of your choice, you can do so. We would be glad to read it in the mailbag. Uh, It's completely free of charge. We don't have one this week, so we're just going to lead right into the episode. So, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode 71 of the GameCube is Cool podcast. New episode every Thursday on every major podcast service. We are the number one GameCube podcast on the internet, and we're here to look back on all 555 North American GameCube games, one by one, sometimes 12 by 12. So far, we have covered 332 games. You can visit thegamecubiscool.com to check out all the things we've been working on. The website was developed by our very own Mike Lane. That's me. That's him. Last week, we covered all the Halloween games remaining on the GameCube. All the bad ones, anyway. The good ones, we've covered separately. This week, we are celebrating the <laughs> they release... They weren't that bad. They were okay, I suppose. This week, we are <laughs> celebrating the release of Call of Duty Vanguard by discussing two of the Call of Duty games on GameCube, the only two, as well as another shooter, Dead to Rights, because we had no idea where to put it. <laughs> so, Mike, why don't we start off the episode here by talking about our memories of Call of Duty. Do you remember playing this game when you were a kid? Uh, yes, of course. So, uh, my first memories of Call of Duty was actually playing it at your house, Neil, with your brother. Mm -hmm. Uh, we would play on your PC Mm -hmm. and I think it was probably one that we played. Uh, might've been two as well, but, uh, I, I, no, it was definitely one. It was Mm -hmm. 2003. It was was definitely one. Mm -hmm. Uh, and I, I had no idea that these titles even existed on console until Modern Warfare. Uh, I, I, I just thought they were PC games. And I distinctly remember playing these games on PC and thinking how realistic they looked. <laughs> yeah. Like it was it was a very different thing for me who had only played, you know, kids' games or like roller coaster tycoon and stuff like that on a PC before. Or like Sarge's Heroes, the Army Men games on N64. Yeah. <laughs> that was like the best we had before Call of Duty. <laughs> That's right. And like so before this, you know, uh uh, my brain was like completely unlocked into thinking about what a computer could do with video games. It, mm-hmm. it, it was never, I never put the two and two together, right? Like gaming for the, this kind of gaming was on consoles and then PC gaming was like uh, Starcraft or age of empires and Diablo. Yeah, yeah. Right. It was stuff like that. So that was my first foray into it. And then mm-hmm. of course I got really into COD when Modern Warfare came out, like, I'd say basically, you know, 90% of our generation. Yes. <laughs> and Modern Warfare coming out in 2007. And I went to, we had a friend in high school and he had a house near near our, our high school. And it was only about a 10, 15 minute walk to get there. And we used to have 80 minute lunches, Neil. Remember that? Oh in, God, in, it was beautiful. <laughs> in grade nine and 10. We would have 80 minutes for lunch. And so, of course, we would, uh, me and a couple other friends would, you know, run over to his house, stop by Tim Hortons, of course, and Mm. go to his house, eat lunch there. And we'd be eating our lunch basically, you know, in the basement uh, while we would all be playing Modern Warfare together. And that was like, I played that, I'd say 
almost every single lunch hour for two years. And you talked about it almost every day because you and I used to walk to school together in grade, I think it was grade nine, I want to say, like towards the, I guess the middle to end of grade nine, because that's when Modern Warfare would have come out. Uh, And you talked about it every single morning about what (laughs) you guys were doing and playing. I was like, I don't know what the hell this guy's talking about, but I'll (laughs) I'll talk about it. Yeah. I was so excited. Like it was, Mm -hmm. it was unlike, it was such an amazing multiplayer experience. And I think for me coming from Nightfire, like you and I used to play it all the time. And that, that's what it felt like a lot, right? Was it felt like going back to that, just hanging out and playing Nightfire in a basement. It was hanging out and playing Modern Warfare in a basement against uh, online people too. That was a big thing is playing online. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember Modern Warfare coming out. It was a big deal. And yes. and you're right, like Call of Duty for me goes all the way back to 2003, I believe was the first Call of Duty game to, to come out. And it was on PC. And it's funny how you say like you had no idea the games that these games were on consoles. They they were, but the, the console versions of Call of Duty were not great until Call of Duty World at War or Modern Warfare, I would say. Yeah. Yeah. So like the PC version of Call of Duty 1 is different than... Allied Assault, a game that we're going to be, or Finest is, Hour, is, yeah, is better than Finest Hour, which we're going to be talking about in a little bit. And that's the game that my brother and I received on our PC when we were really young. And before that, uh, another game that we played on PC was a game called Operation Flashpoint, which oh. is another World War. I think it's World War Two. It's a, it's another shooter. It was kind of like a competitor. It was like the third horse in the race between Call of Duty and Medal of Honor, mm-hmm. uh, which we've talked about already on this show. So that was kind of the only military shooter game that we had for a while. And eventually my parents got us the second Call of Duty game that we got on PC was World at War. So those are like the two games that we played and those were against other people too. And that was mind blowing because like you said, you and I had only ever played Nightfire and Goldeneye in friends' basements. So being able to play against people that were real around the world on on the computer, you know, shooting each other's heads off uh, was a ton of fun. (laughs) And uh, that, that, that experience never did translate well to the GameCube. Honestly, and it was because of that multiplayer, which was missing. Uh, in my opinion, I think Medal of Honor is the better campaign experience than than uh, Call of Duty was, at least back in the day. Uh, Call of Duty eventually surpassed that, I would say. But uh, mm-hmm. at least in those early days, the campaigns in the console versions of Call of Duty were not as good as Medal of Honor Frontline. Yeah. So that hurt it for sure. And also there was no multiplayer at all in the GameCube versions of Call of Duty. Uh, which we'll talk about in in a second. So yeah, that's kind of my memory of of Call of Duty. And then just having you playing it at Cameron's house when we were in high school uh, for months on end. I think I went over maybe once or twice with you guys (laughs) because we didn't have the same lunch. That was the thing was we had 80 minute lunches, but there were two different blocks. So you had the earlier one or whatever, and I had the later one. So I never got to go over and play uh, (laughs) unless I like skipped or something or there was a half day. Uh, But after Modern Warfare came out, I honestly like skipped out on everything Call of Duty related. I don't remember two or three coming out. It wasn't until we finished high school that I was sitting in uh, college in like psychology and the people around me started talking about Black Ops and yeah. how big that game was. And I was just like, oh, damn, like Call of Duty is still a thing. <laughs> like I remember Mike <laughs> talking about that in 2007 and, you know, 2011 rolled around and like Black Ops is everywhere. It's on bus stops. It's selling 10 million copies a day or whatever it was like just on top of the world. And I have all the, uh, I have the, the, all the games here, Neil, that I'd like to list off and just talk about Call of Duty, the series for, for a second. Okay. Uh, of course, the series starts with Call of Duty in 2003. And then we have Finest Hour that comes out on consoles as well as Big Red One. Uh, and then we have Call of Duty 2, which comes out in 2005 uh, exclusively for the Xbox 360. 
which was a, a big deal at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we have Call of Duty 3 coming out in 2006. We have Modern Warfare, Call of Duty 4 in 2007. Call of Duty 5, World at War uh, in 2008. Modern Warfare 2 in 09. Black Ops in 2010. Modern Warfare 3 in 2011. Black Ops 2 in 2012. Ghosts in 2013. Advanced Warfare in 2014. Black Ops 3 in 2015. Infinite Warfare in 2016. World War 2 in 2017, Black Ops 4 in 2018, the Modern Warfare reboot in 2019, and finally, Vanguard, Color Duty Vanguard coming out this week in 2021. Right, and there's a few other little games in there too, like there's a, there, there's a PSP Call of Duty game thrown in there. I believe there's a few mobile games. So, Oh yeah, those are the mainline yeah, games. Yeah, the, uh, the mainline yeah. games that people talk about that play, players buy and, and parents get their kids the game for Christmas. So the main developers of Call of Duty are Infinity Ward, Treyarch, Sledgehammer Games, and Raven Software. Uh, the, the the latter two mainly just developing levels and weapon sets and whatnot. They don't, it's mainly Infinity Ward and Treyarch that flip-flop every year. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's sort of like People know which developers make which game and one is better than the other. But in the past 18 years, the game has appeared on over 20 different consoles. There's over 35 entries in the series. So not yep. counting the mainline games, there's quite a few spinoffs. And that ranges from PC to the N-Gage to the DS <laughs> randomly, which is hilarious. Well, I wanted to say like that I wanted to just give a shout out to Activision for actually having these games on Nintendo products. Mm-hmm. We've talked at length, really about how a lot of these publishers were very, you know, have always been kind of hesitant to put any of their games on Nintendo products because they don't think they'll sell. Well, Call of Duty has been on, we have two games on the GameCube. We got four Call of Duty games on the Wii. (laughs) We have um, all the Call of Duty games that came out on the Wii U as well. So like there's been a lot of push uh, for Call of Duty on these consoles i'm not sure about the switch i just thought about that right now i don't think the switch has any call of duty games though no the switch has no call of duty games the switch doesn't have many first person shooters generally so it's it's not too surprising i'd be really interested to see if there's ever a call of duty game on switch there were a few on wii u give me modern warfare remaster i'll take that on switch that would sell very well that would be a very good entry but uh we'll have to wait and see i'd be very interested that would honestly be probably the biggest announcement of 2021 for me would be if activision yeah. came out and said we're putting a call of duty game doesn't it could be ghosts for all i care like just putting <laughs> a call of duty game on switch would be hilarious i'm glad you mentioned ghost neil because uh ghosts is i wanted to say the best and worst reviewed well ghosts is the worst reviewed call of duty game okay uh coming in at around five or six out of ten usually wow and the best reviewed it's a tie between a lot but modern warfare one and two uh, are up there at around nines and tens. I figured it would be one of the modern warfares. Um, that that makes sense to me. I would I would love to go back and play more of these games. Sadly, they just don't they just don't appeal to me exactly. Like I'm not looking for games like this. I I loved Medal of Honor and and Call of Duty World War II looked really interesting, but I know that that game did not get reviewed super well either. They all range in like the mid sevens to the eights, so they're yep. all they're always like good. If not, you know, great, probably. Like yeah, it's really other than Ghosts like that. That was really the only one that wasn't reviewed well at all. Yeah, it's just funny that, you know, these games sell really well, but none of them receive anything higher than like an 8.5 out of 10 yeah. on average. Yeah. So they're always just like good enough. Like they, they know what they're doing. They're doing it very well. And obviously gamers love it. The series has sold over 400 million copies worldwide. Um, uh, 
and it's made uh, over $10 billion total, which is slightly more than what this podcast has made. So, <laughs> uh, it is the third best-selling video game franchise of all time, which I thought was super interesting, behind only Mario and Tetris. Wow. Mind you, those the Mario and Tetris numbers are inflated for a number of reasons, and they've also both existed for 35-plus years. Mm-hmm. So, COD hasn't even been around for two decades at this point, so that's really impressive. I'm very interested to see how Vanguard does, because... Uh, I've heard like people that play Call of Duty aren't super interested in it, but I still think it's going to be one of the best-selling games of the year. Uh, there's just a silent majority of people who will buy this game no matter what every year because it has Call of Duty written on it. And uh, I, I just associate Call of Duty with November year after year. So mm-hmm. like what we said, you know, that time between Halloween and uh, Christmas is it, it's a uh, nightmare before Christmas and it's Call of Duty coming out usually right on Remembrance Day, which is fantastic. <laughs> it's it's It gets filled by the Call of Duty fills the void. Yeah, I, I did want to say because you mentioned uh, you mentioned Infinity Ward, which was being kind of the main developer really from the start. Uh, for Call of Duty, there's been a lot of legal issues and people suing each other and some crazy stuff that has gone down. I'm not sure if you found some of this, Neil, while you were doing research, but the um, I didn't realize that the current Infinity Ward has almost no relation to the one that started Call of Duty. Really? Um, basically, the entire staff is gone. The the All the founders are gone uh, because they got in this big lawsuit with, um, with Activision because of how well Modern Warfare did, they want to have raises for their team. Activision didn't want to do it. Everyone sued each other. And then uh, they basically agreed to disband, but then like keep the name is kind of what happened. Okay. And uh, so Infinity Ward, the real Infinity Ward, is actually Respawn Entertainment, um, oh. who works within EA's ecosystem, developing games like Fallen Order, Titanfall, Apex Legends. And of course, they also made the new Medal of Honor. Right. Uh, which is kind of funny. So it's a little full circle right there. It's a little incest- incestuous, like how how these developers end up, you know, being uh, poached uh, by big developer by big publishers like like Activision and EA. They end up getting just ripped apart from the inside out and then rebranded. Um, mm-hmm. But like if you're not really in- invested in, in this stuff like you and I are, most people out there, I'm sure, don't even know who's publishing these games or developing the games so they really don't care activision and blizzard have both been under heavy fire in the last year to year and a half i would say with with different allegations and everything so it's kind of tough to keep stories straight with what's going on with uh, with activision and blizzard so mm-hmm. interesting that you found that i was just trying to find things uh, about the games that have kind of come up in the news over the years and one thing that sparked a big memory oh, for me I was you're gonna talk about i think it was modern warfare warfare was the, 2 warfare 2 the airport scene where yep. you can mow down an entire airport of people and uh it was a, that was a huge controversy back in the day i remember being in high school and seeing that like on the news that like yeah this was the that first was ridiculously time. stupid to, yeah. to even have that in the game i don't know what they were thinking their defense was like you don't have to do it <laughs> it's like, you don't have to buy this game it's like well yeah but like i think you could do the entire mission without actually doing that like you have the option yeah. to mow down people but you can complete the mission without doing it it's like why Come give on, people it's like the op- yeah. <laughs> it's like well you don't have to run through red lights and kill everybody on the map it's like well i am going to though. yeah you developed it like someone put effort into this so it's yeah. it, it was that was an interesting uh controversy of call of duty there hasn't been anything quite like that since no uh, these earlier games had quite a bit of uh quite a bit of censorship done in different countries just with swastikas and Nazi Nazi Germany uh, censorship obviously but we'll talk about that in a little bit mm-hmm. uh, that's everything Mike that I have to say about Call of Duty as a whole and my memories of it uh, should we jump into the GameCube games now and bring our guest on yeah let's do it all right sounds good who's joining us today 
Well, joining us today is our friend of the show, Spenny, who is very recently on for some more shooters from the James Bond games, and uh, we had a lot of fun with him. So, Spenny, to start off today, uh, we got to ask you a question, and that is, what is your favorite Call of Duty game of all time? Oh, of all time? I, uh, Call of Duty 2. I think it was the first one I ever played, and I really like that it's like, it's like it's World War Two. And that just, I'm, just, I'm a history buff, so I really like that. And you're talking about, because it's going to get confusing here with names, because, of course, we're going to be talking about Call of Duty 2, Big Red 1, but then there's Call of Duty 2, which is just the normal Call of Duty 2 that came out exclusively for PC and Xbox 360 uh, on launch day for Xbox 360. So that's what you're talking about, right? Yeah, I did not think you were going to be that factual right in my face here, but <laughs> yes, Call of Duty 2 for 360 is my all-time favorite very nice. good of the franchise call of duty has been weird over the years about naming their their games like they had call of duty and then they had call of duty finest hour and call of duty 2 and then call of duty big red one and like the, the modern warfare trilogy made a ton of sense but well and then there's modern there's the new modern warfare too that's just called modern yes. warfare yeah and then there was call of duty there's nothing attached to black ops right it's just call of duty black ops 2 and 3 yeah i don't think that they ever gave those sublines but vanguard is terrible can we just talk about that for a second <laughs> <laughs> yeah spenny i don't know if you know but there is a new call of duty game coming out this week actually um call of duty vanguard i actually i did know about that one and i would like to just start off by saying that like first person shooters i have done my best i have more recently had destiny i tried with call of duty i tried online just enough to get my you know hum just a big slice of humble pie I'm so, it's not my thing, which is, I think, why I love COD 2 and Big Red 1, because you could do the campaign, or, like, I, I'd play with, like, my cousins who had it, so we could do it without going online and get absolutely ruined, <laughs> and that was very good for my ego. I think that we can all agree that we peaked as a species when uh, Nightfire was released on GameCube. But first, let's talk about <laughs> Call of Duty Finest Hour, which was released on November 16, 2004. This game was developed by Spark Unlimited. We're never going to hear about them again. It was published by Activision. It's also on PS2 and Xbox. It rates a 7 out of 10, priced today at around $10. That's rough. Uh, and combined sales of the first Call of Duty console game, which was Finest Hour, reached 4 million units in the United States by July of 2004. So almost two years later, uh, which is that would be a complete failure by today's standards. Imagine if a Call of Duty game came out in 2021 and sold four million units. Just to put it <laughs> in perspective, most Call of Duty games these days, I don't think they sell less than like 20 million. No, uh, but not twice that. <laughs> I mean, yeah, you're comparing it to crazy numbers nowadays where selling 10 mm -hmm. million units over time is, you know, very successful. Um, yeah, because this game is actually Call of Duty 1 but just kind of somewhat ported to consoles. Mm -hmm. I, I don't want yeah. to just use the word port because it's not a, a, a normal port. It's, um, mm -hmm. I don't know what you would call it, Neil, but just like a... Like I a, would call it, it's a console port. Honestly, this is a time when the PC game is different than the console game. That's Call true. of Duty that's a good came point. out. Came, yeah, Call of Duty came out on, on PC in 2003, and then there was a console port made for PS2 and Xbox and GameCube that came out about a year later, and it's different. Uh, in certain ways, it, it's weird because it has a lot of the same story beats yeah. as Call of Duty on PC has. Uh, it, it features a bunch of intertwined stories and battles based on real events from the Soviet soldiers, from U.S. British soldiers. Uh, so it's very similar. I don't know why they don't or why they didn't just port the game 
exactly <laughs> as the PC version was, maybe just with graphical downgrades. The same thing was true when we talked about Medal of Honor. Like the very first Medal of Honor game on PC, uh, I'm forgetting the name of it now. It's bl- I'm blanking. But then it was different than Medal of Honor Frontline, which were sort of meant to be the same game, but it was a PC version of Medal of Honor and then a console port, which was Frontline. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, same thing here where they hit the same story beats, just not necessarily in the same order or with the same characters even. Yeah, different storyline. Uh, kind of acts as a side story to the main game. Um, yeah. yeah, six intertwined stories uh, based on real events, like you said. Uh, the Russian campaign uh, is actually based on the 2001 movie Enemy at the Gates, uh, mm-hmm. including scenes such as the boat landing, machine gun charge, and defense of a tractor factory. Uh, there's even yeah. some characters like Tanya Pavlona. Uh, Pavlovona? I don't know. Uh, <laughs> they share their name with uh, <laughs> the movie characters. And my favorite fun fact about this uh, about this game is that the lead singer of ACDC, Brian Johnson... Yeah. <laughs> uh, is one of the main roles. He plays uh, one of the main characters in this. Sergeant Starkey, one of the British commandos, is ACDC singer Brian Johnson. Can't talk about that enough. But what's <laughs> also interesting is that uh, the music was composed by Michael, I th- believe it's pronounced Giacchino, uh, who who actually, you might remember, he produced the music uh, for Medal of Honor. Huh. So the same music producer or composer who did Medal of Honor also did Call of Duty. So kind of double dipping there, but we'll allow it. It's good music. <laughs> Uh, and the game does dip into other uh, historical events. Uh, you go to North Africa uh, with the British campaign. You fight in the Western Front as the Americans, which everybody loves to do, storming D-Day and all that stuff. But I own this game. I actually picked up this game a few years ago from Value Village, which if you're an American listener, I don't think you have those. They're basically Goodwills. Uh, and I found this game for five bucks, picked it up. I got to say, I don't love it. <laughs> the, the the opening is really good, though. That's the one thing I really love about this game. You start off uh, spending, you start off this game in Russia, which I thought was really yes. cool. Uh, you're actually mm-hmm. in Stalingrad. Yeah, like it's a good game and everything. It's just we have come such a long way with Call of Duty. Like it, it's so weird to go back to the, a game from 2000 and, uh, 2004 and not be able to sprint or. Yeah, like, yeah. And we're going to have that problem weird. with red, Big Red one too. But but that sure. one you can go back to a lot more easily than this one. I, fi- I found mm-hmm. going back to this one this week was was really tough. And uh, it it just didn't capture the experience of playing Call of Duty. Like the first time I, pl- I played Call of Duty at your house, playing it on mm-hmm. PC, I just found yeah. it to be the, the much better game than the console yeah. version. And we're going to talk about this a little bit later, uh, more so with Big Red One, but how can there not be any multiplayer in a Call of Duty game? It's a single player only game. But that was like, that no... was what it was back then, right? Like you, you no. didn't even it's funny cuz you know, like after Modern, Modern Warfare, everything changed. But mm-hmm. back then it was it was okay to not have multiplayer and uh, as Smenny's going to talk about, uh, not get your ass kicked. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's there are ups and downs. Definitely. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. This game was also originally going to have a sequel. Call of Duty Combined Forces, um, but the idea was rejected by Activision after Spark Unlimited spent $8 million to make Finest Hour, which is a ridiculous amount of money for a port wow. uh, in this uh, in this era. Uh, and the, the budget for Finest Hour, by the way, was $2 million, so I don't know wow. where that $6 million went. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it is also known that during the development of uh, the six single-player campaign missions were given by Activision for development to third-party employees, and to justify the delay in release of the game, the publisher decided to add multiplayer mode, which was not planned in contractual obligations. So, And that was for combined forces. So um, okay. things went a little haywire there, and they never got a real sequel, which is kind of too bad. Mm. 
Yeah, that, that is too bad. But I mean, Call of Duty kept going, which is fine. Like we have, <laughs> yeah. what was it, 35 different Call of Duty games in 2021. So they made sequels, just maybe not uh, with combined forces. <laughs> and no uh, Spark Unlimited. Uh, so I, I, now, now Neil, <laughs> no. we know why we won't hear yes. Spark Unlimited anymore. <laughs> exactly. But it's funny, like going back and playing Call of Duty, the original Call of Duty games, and then like just recently we played the original Medal of Honor games. They are so similar. Like it really was anybody's game back then. Like who was going to come out? Who was going to be the the dominant force? But well, a lot a lot of Infinity Ward's team uh, mm-hmm. consisted of uh, uh, of members who helped make Allied Assault. Like it's mm-hmm. the same. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. a, like same music uh, people, same yeah. developers. It's yeah, it, that's true. Well, another thing that I just want to talk about this game before we jump into Big Red One and uh, get Spenny's memories of uh, of that game is. I was always wondering when I was a kid, like, what's it like playing these games if you live in some of these other countries like Russia or Germany? Like, do these games even come out? Like, are you fighting against different play? It just must be so weird to be like playing as an American soldier fighting against the Germans if you're a German gamer. <laughs> uh, I'm sure that we have some gamers out there who are from all around the world and perhaps it doesn't bother them too much. But we're from such like a different perspective of video games where you almost always play as the American soldier or a British soldier. This is one of the few games where you fight as uh, the Russians mm-hmm. for a little bit, which was interesting. That opening scene is really good, and the music is really nice too. Like it feels like you're playing an opening of a of a war movie. And the German, uh, uh, like the German side of it too, is like for the games they're often censored. Uh, same with yes, Japanese ones. Say. You know, they're uh, very strict gun laws and very strict um, mm-hmm. symbolism. You know, no swastikas can be anywhere. Well, yeah, like in the German version, I was going to say there's quite a bit censored out. In the German version of Finest Hour, terms like Nazi and Third Reich are all ref- are all references uh, to war participants, which were cut out. Uh, things like Mussolini and Hitler, Montgomery were all removed. Uh, voice acting and in-game posters, video sequences, like it was all cut out. Oh, wow. uh, so they took a lot out of the German version. And for like, for obvious reasons, huh. I mean, it's not completely historically accurate, these games, but it's entertainment. And I think that they do censor a lot of entertainment uh, in, in those countries, unfortunately. But Well, Neil, I think it's time for you to read a non-censored version of The Back of the Case. All right. Sounds good. <laughs> but first, Victor, hit us with that sweet jingle. It's time to read what's on the back of the case. There's things written on the back of the case. Let's read them. And now we're reading the back of the case. The world's darkest hour shall be your finest. Head to the front lines of World War II's epic battles, including the Russian charge of Stalingrad, British PPA commando raids in North Africa, and American-led tank battles in Belgium. That's it. That's it. That's it. Go. Ship it. All right. Let's move on to the next game here on our list, which is Call of Duty Big Red One, which was released on November 1st. Two- right, Call of Duty 2 Big oh, Red sorry. One. Sorry. Call of Duty 2 Big Red One, based on the movie, based on the game, was released on <laughs> November 1st, 2005. It's developed by Treyarch. There they are. Published by Activision. It's also on PS2 and Xbox. This game rates a 7.5 out of 10. Priced today at around $15. And worldwide sales of this game, $7.9 million. So this game sold very well. Yes, yeah, it sold very well. A little less than um, than the uh, than Finest Hour, which I think it was ten million after yeah. worldwide after everything. Mm-hmm. So I mean, seven point nine million, very good for then. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> now you'd be like, oh, wow. <laughs> uh, yeah. But yeah, big red one. Uh, this is Treyarch's first Call of Duty game, mm-hmm. uh, which is pretty impressive because obviously Treyarch became the main developer. 
for Call of Duty, even usurping uh, Infinity Ward uh, to uh, to a point as well. But uh, Spenny, we want to ask you, what are your first memories of playing Big Red One? Big Red, it's uh, I remember the like storming the beach and like that level. Like it almost made war kind of more real for me. It was it was like almost like a level or um, a lesson in empathy. When you're like, oh yeah, mm-hmm. war's pretty crazy, and then I'm playing this game, I'm like, yo, this is really crazy. <laughs> Which is also weird to say, because it's still a video game, and it's not that real. But, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I don't know, it just kind of made, like, you know, the history books you've been reading in school and stuff, it just made it all the more real. It's got that, that Medal of Honor feel, where it feels like it's very much honoring the people who fought, and kind of trying to show the the horrors of war. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think they did an incredible job with the story for Big Red One because this is really the only Call of Duty game that I can think of that focuses a lot on the squad more than mm. the actual gameplay, right? Like, I'm not mm. sure if you feel the same way. Um, yeah, actually, uh, like, again, this first-person shooter games, like, this is probably the only one where I actually, like, really, really enjoyed. Uh, all the other ones I just get absolutely ruined <laughs> and my ego just takes over and I can't do it. But, um, no, because I, I remember, like, when you go in, right? Yeah, you're right. Like, the squad, it's there and you get to know, like, know, I'm, I'm air quoting, you can't see it, but know the guys pretty yeah. quickly. Like, one of the guys, he's from Brooklyn, he's like, guys, we got to finish this. I got I got tickets to the Yankees to play in the socks. I got to go. And you're like, oh, yeah, yeah. Buddy, that's right. His, in- his name is Brooklyn, but he's from yeah. the Bronx. Yeah. That's, that's the whole bit. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and he's like, guys, we have to go fast. I have Yankees tickets. I have to go home. We're in North Africa. Like, buddy, you're not going to make it. You're going to die, bro. <laughs> yeah. Like, even, if you, even if this ends now and you get on a boat home, you're still late, pal. But... <laughs> Just, like, the fact that it was, like, it did humanize it a bit, you know? Like, like Yankees yes. and Red Sox, if you follow baseball, like, you know that's the biggest rivalry, and it was mm-hmm. still a huge rivalry 80 years ago, and it just it got real, even though, you know, his sense of time doesn't make any sense. But, like, like you know, it was just kind of like, these are people, and you're right, you have a squad. Like, it was it was real in a sense. It is good, though, that they tried to kind of develop, like, camaraderie between the uh, between the characters. It just makes their deaths feel a little bit more impactful. Uh, I think that the developers of this game were a little bit more influenced by a, lo- uh, a TV show at the time, Band of Brothers, uh, which is mm. obvious because there's actually characters from Band of Brothers. <laughs> the cast. The cast. The entire cast yeah. is actually basically from Band of Brothers, and there's a couple of from Saving Private Ryan. Mm-hmm. Those were the two movies or two um, features that they were really... Uh, keen on and they love that uh, and so they wanted to bring these cast members in who knew how to voice these characters properly mm-hmm. and that that definitely shows right like when you're playing it you really do feel you, like you can almost like you said spending in, in quotes like you feel like you know these these people like it's uh, and when um oh god what's his name uh vince or vic or one, one of the guys when he dies mm-hmm. spoiler alert yeah <laughs> Uh, when um uh, when he dies uh and oh yeah it's Vic, uh when Vic dies maybe halfway through the game he kind of just like going through a door just kind of haphazardly and just gets shot, and you're watching it happen, uh you just assume that your squad is invincible, mm-hmm. uh but then you know halfway through he dies and you're like oh wow like like my, this guy from my squad can die like I, yeah. it makes you really feel like you have a stake in this journey mm-hmm. you know I I think that's tr- like I for one. Um, and I'll, I still play a lot of Pokemon Go, and I will use this as my example. Um, anytime, you know, there's a breakthrough or, like, a new 
challenge or something and like the little professor shows up and he's explaining to you via text like what's going on in the whole plot line and i always skip it i always skip the plot line i i just like want to play yeah and this game like it there is a reward for not doing that like there was a reward and there was an emotional investment and like you're absolutely right it was like even when it was maybe a little bit cheesy or like didn't make any sense or maybe <laughs> that's just me you know revisiting it as a 29 year old versus being like you know 14 but like <laughs> yeah like you really got something out of it by paying attention and being a part of a team and like that comes with the highs and that definitely comes with the lows mm-hmm. yeah the fact that they put so much effort into this game for the the cast the voice acting and just clearly Treyarch you know this was their first shot at it they wanted to make a really good game um Infinity Ward actually didn't have time to make this because they were working on creating COD 2 for Xbox 360 as we talked about earlier um but uh, yeah they this was really ahead of its time no one did stuff like this no. uh back then no one tried to like there's very we've we've talked about very few games that actually tried to get real voice actors in like real professionals to, to voice different characters and bring life to them. Mm-hmm. And like nowadays that's so common. Like every video game often has like a celebrity in it or something, but this was, uh, this was really ahead of its time and it, and it, it shows. I'm trying to think though, do call is. of duty games go, go after big name actors anymore? Like I remember Kevin no. Spacey was in a, was in a call of duty game. I think it was advanced warfare. Uh, like, I was in college. I remember. I remember seeing the trailer, and Kevin Spacey's in one of them. I forget which yeah. one it is now. But like Mark Hamill is in this game too. He's the narrator. He's the narrator. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if you knew that, uh, Spenny, uh, but yeah, no, definitely <laughs> did not. That's hilarious. Yeah, like like that does not happen anymore with these Call of Duty. No. Like, I, name one actor who's in Vanguard. <laughs> right. <laughs> but yeah, I, I mean, other games do it, but yeah, Call of Duty because Call of Duty has become this annualized franchise. Right. Mm-hmm. This this is before the annualization. Uh, again, yeah. this is Treyarch's first game, so it, it it's a very different world. It's it's almost impossible to compare this game to new Call of Duties. Mm-hmm. Like that actually is such an interesting point because now like games make more than blockbuster movies, right? Mm-hmm. Yes, like yeah. big name movies. So for 15 years ago, I'm sure like you go up to Mark Hamill and like, hey, do you want to narrate a video game? Like that does not mean anything that what it means today no no like i'm sure so many people probably brush that off like what are you even talking about buddy and like to get him that's insane like that's actually such a giant accomplishment i'm sure yeah no and like- he's he's in quite a few other video game um uh, games as well like he's in oh what is it it's uh i don't want to well, say well, he's in batman he's in, he's arkham, in batman he's in the arkham oh, yeah. city games and then he's also in darksiders i don't know if you guys ever played those games they're kind of zelda light characters but, but he's in a couple of games oh. on the gamecube too oh, on GameCube. um i'm trying yeah, to remember yeah, now I, quite I, a few actually there's like remember. like four or five that mark hamill's in and so it's kind of cool when you know he was a uh, uh one of the first people to lend his voice to a lot of video games mm-hmm. yeah. but yeah <laughs> a pioneer in so many ways yeah <laughs> right <laughs> now now actors are jumping all over themselves to get into video yeah. games uh, especially in games like far cry and whatnot but even a couple weeks ago we had we were doing some james bond games and like one of the villains in the game is straight up just willem dafoe like in this yeah. <laughs> in this random bond game that's not based on a film like it's not like toby Maguire throwing it throwing away the, the role for spider-man 2 or whatever just kind of using his voice uh to make a quick extra buck but one of the things that's missing in this game too, though, just like what we said with Finest Hour, for me, that would be really neat. And this kind of ties into what Mike and I talked about earlier, but they're missing multiplayer. And this would yeah. be a really sweet campaign to play co-op. I don't even want to play like Deathmatch. I just want, I would just want to go through these campaigns with a friend. 100%. Yes. The, yeah. Yeah. Like, um, my, why I love this game is, um, 
like my dad's a huge history buff, especially World War II. Like he loves it. And like growing up, I had a Sega Genesis and like an N64 and stuff. And like, you know, I'm playing Sonic the Hedgehog and my dad comes down. I was like, oh, that's really cool. And then like, but like it doesn't register. <laughs> nothing resonates. No, no. Right. And but and the other games I had growing up. But like this one, all of a sudden I was like, dad, this is a game based on war. And he loved it. Like he, mm. he played. I remember him coming like to the breakfast table and be like, I played till two thirty in the morning last. Night. <laughs> like, like he played it, he ate it up, and I think it was the first time ever uh, where he like. I guess we we're just talking about how you know how far COD's come in like fifteen years, like how far video games have come in his life. Like all of a sudden, he wanted to play Big Red One, <laughs> and it you know it was kind of cool that like I had bought it and it finally clicked for him, and like he was playing it. I would have loved, loved to have been able to play with my dad, but you're right, it's just like a a single campaign which is also pretty hard i never beat it yeah these games were hard these games were difficult they were yeah they were hard especially this one because you you really had to pick your shots sparingly yeah you couldn't just like now call of duty games you're just you know well yeah that that (laughs) was away yeah well that was another thing too that i wanted to talk about was just the differences between old call of duty games and the new ones these ones had health packs whereas new call of duty games a really big change was regenerative health which is just dumb Mm. that's just games in general though right because basically every game has health regeneration i hate that man where the like this this COD game has no there's no sprinting there's no health regeneration there's no auto aiming or anything it's uh like because of that it makes the game feel older mm-hmm. but it doesn't make it feel like it I I don't my, my in my opinion you don't really need sprinting I know people call like say that's like a a sign of bad game design but that's oh. that's fine you don't have to sprint you don't have to have your auto aim you don't have to have your health regeneration especially in a war game like this when you are trying to show the horrors of war much more yeah i, I do like that it's a little harder in that sense yeah, yeah. and it adds like almost like, like a survival horror element to it where you can't get fast enough away from artillery blasts like your character yeah. is slow you do feel heavy because yeah your character is carrying 75 pounds of, of equipment on them so it's it's realistic. I didn't. I don't think that not having sprint made it worse. It was just different because every first-person shooter in the 2010s and 2020s has the sprint option. So it is weird going back to that. But it was nice going back to like not having regenerative health. Regenerative. That's a hard word to say. <laughs> yeah. It's basically when your health bar fills up automatically if you hide long enough, which is just dumb. Yes. Um, like yeah. when I get shot, I don't want to just sit there for two seconds and then come back out totally fine. Yeah. That doesn't make it <laughs> stupid. We all know if you get shot. And you sit down for a minute, you're good. <laughs> yeah, the bullet just comes. And movies right have back taught out. me anything. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I uh, I also wanted to talk about because this this game isn't just on foot. It's not just with your with your other soldiers. It's actually uh, there's a couple of other sequences. There's a tank sequence, mm-hmm. which is really cool. I think the tank sequence in this game is even better than the Call of Duty Two tank sections. Uh, I find they're really fun to play. I personally really love the bomber sequences. I don't know if you remember those, Spenny. Um, I don't off the top of my head, but again, like the the campaign part, I think I only really ever like maybe two thirds through, because it was really hard. I never beat it, so yeah. I may have just never gotten to this cool part of the game. The bombers, the tanks are relatively early, but the bomber yeah. uh, section I think is is quite late because I think you're bombing Germany at that point because it's it's going through the war, right? Like that's yeah. the the war is progressing as you're going along, and it's actually the, just an aside here. It's it's really cool to see how the characters progress with their dialogue um, because 
as the war goes on, their dialogue changes a lot. Uh, at the beginning, when you're in Africa, it's very much like, oh, yeah, like we're here to fight. We're here to kill these 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 Nazis. Kill the Nazis. <laughs> and then <laughs> as you go along, you hear your commander who's like, you know, saying yes to everything, just like a solid leader. He starts questioning the command and he'll start like talking about things. Mm. Uh, and then he'll you'll hear him on the radio being like, uh, sir, I don't think that's a good idea or just like hesitating, uh, mm. which I thought was super interesting that they they put that kind of stuff in. Uh, that, that dialogue part reminds me a lot of King Kong, Neil, Oh, okay. in the sense of, of like how the, the dialogue is, you really have to pay attention to what's going on because mm. it'll give you clues of what is, is about to happen basically. Okay. I like that. I, I like when characters change a little bit. Like the guy's not talking about going to go see the, ya- the Yankees and the Red Sox playing in <laughs> every time chapter yeah. 13 of the game when half your, half your squad is dead and you have no ammo. <laughs> Potentially the most character development I've seen in a, in a, like a, uh, a GameCube game in a war before. game, and I think that yeah. they tried to capture that with uh, Spenny. I don't know if you played this one, but Call of Duty World War Two. Just talking about that one again, I didn't play it, but I just remember looking at uh, E3 trailers and that game looking like they were trying. I think they were trying to capture Big Red one, uh, having like an emotional story with characters that have arcs and and you know death matters and everything. I think that they were trying to to recapture this game again. Back in 2017 or 18, Mike, I think you said that game came out. Yeah, 2017. And really, like a game like this, we haven't seen in a long time because after Big Red, after Call of Duty 3, I believe it was, that's when they stopped doing the World War II games. That's when they all ended. So I guess that's when Spenny's... Well, there's World at War and then there's, yeah, World War II, but that's it. Yeah. And that's when Spenny's dad stopped playing Call of Duty. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I will say yeah. <laughs> uh, the, um, the biggest problem with this game wasn't the game itself, I don't think at all. But the fact that it was killed by its own counterpart, COD 2, Call of Duty 2 came out just weeks after this one. Mm-hmm. And that's all people talked about. Yeah. Big Red 1 kind of just got pushed to the side. It was never talked about again, uh, mostly because they spent so long and they put massive amounts of money into Call of Duty 2, which looking back, that game looks amazing and plays amazing for for what it's worth because they want to make sure that Xbox 360 launch day was good and it was that's the last time microsoft had a good launch day (laughs) (laughs) but uh it it, you know like it it held up and it still holds up too but um it took the limelight away and there was also really bad marketing for the game we mentioned earlier the fact like the 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 name of the game call of duty 2 colon big red one people Mm-hmm. rightly assumed that this was just like an expansion pack or something oh. it's right so funny you're saying all these things because i didn't know any of that and i have questioned all of the things you just said my like forever i i bought big red <laughs> big red one in a bargain bin years later yeah. yeah thinking it was some sort of expansion or something like i never heard of it no one had i've never heard anyone talk about it mm. about it never seen an ad like and just being like oh i like you know, I played COD 2 and I'm bad at it, but this is <laughs> cheap and I will bring it home. And that was it and just ended up enjoying it, but like really blindly buying this. And yeah, just kind of wondering why it was just kind of almost, it felt brushed aside or forgotten about. Like, yeah, it, it, it was, it was really stupid, to be honest, of, of uh, Activision. I don't know why they did this. I, I know that they, they wanted to push COD 2 for Xbox 360 and mm-hmm. everything. I get it. But like, why put them out weeks weeks between each other and why call it call of duty 2 yeah big red one why why wouldn't you just call it a different name i mean yeah. big the big red one by the way we didn't, didn't even say it but the name big red one is referring to the u.s first infantry division uh which is the oldest 
uh, the oldest uh, infantry division in uh, the States. And so it's nicknamed the Big Red One because they have a big red number one on their uh, on yeah. their patch. So, Which makes perfect sense, but can be confusing when yeah. you're naming sequel <laughs> when another number in is it. involved yeah. in the yeah. title <laughs> yeah. it's also a name of a movie too so like some parents might have thought it was based on the 1980 movie like mm-hmm. which it yeah. obviously isn't but still there might have been some confusion there since for the most part call of duty games are bought by parents for their kids at least they used to be now i don't think yeah. kids really care anymore so yeah it just it was just a weird one to me and the fact that call of duty 2 and this one have almost nothing to do with each other or very little at, at least, right? There's mm-hmm. the storyline. It's not like Finest Hour, how like Finest Hour and Call of Duty 1 are basically the same game, but just like there's a side story in there. Right. And and there's, you know, differences obviously because they're different consoles. These are completely different games. Yeah, it almost seems like this one went rogue compared to like <laughs> yeah. the, yeah. the stream of the other games and what their goals were. Like this one was just like an island, but it was still really, really good, but no one knew about it. Oh, it was just it was Activision telling Treyarch saying, "Hey, you know what? We have this game. We have a contract to put games out for PS2 and GameCube for like the older generations because this mm-hmm. is 2005, mind you, at this point." Um, and so they're like, "Well, we got to put it out. I don't know. Do whatever you want. Here's your budget. <laughs> figure it out. Our the rest of our time is going to this to COD 2." So they're yeah. like, okay. So I'm sure that's exactly what happened. And sometimes that can go horribly wrong. <laughs> and you'll get like a terrible, you know, game that has no effort put into it. But I, I really, really like this game because of the love that was clearly put into creating this. Nice. Yeah, I think that's. It's very well said. It's well said. <laughs> I don't think we can top that. So I think it's time we read the back of the case. What do you guys think? That sounds good. Do it. All right. <laughs> One of the best looking shooters to ever grace consoles. That is. <laughs> That doesn't age well. IGN. (laughs) That's an IGN quote. Join the Big Red One, America's most legendary infantry division, to experience the cinematic intensity and chaos of battle as never before on consoles. Cinematic intensity is a good word. I like that. Yeah, that like sums up the game really well in that sense. So, Spenny, are there any other memories of uh, Call of Duty Big Big Red One that you'd like to share with us uh, before we let you go? Yeah, nothing, I guess, specifically. I just... uh... The trench level, and like now that I'm thinking, there's there's one where you're running really far through the trenches, and I spent mm-hmm. hours, and I just kept not winning. But it's hard. <laughs> it, it is very hard. But like back to my dad, like I said, like I just remember him, like he's like, okay, if I'm gonna be on the video games, like I have to be like doing something for myself. So he like we had a stationary bike, and my dad would be like on the bike, <laughs> like, big red one, and I just remember that. But it was so again, it was just so cool because like. Dad was playing video games and I was like yeah. 15, you know, and it was, yeah. I think like anytime I, you know, get nostalgic about games, it's like, it's the emotional attachment I have to I love it. That. And like, this is one of those games and it's really cool. And I'm happy that you guys are spotlighting it. I love that. Spotlighting it, highlighting it. Yeah. I'm yeah, happy either that you're talking about it. <laughs> That's what this podcast is all about is, is the emotional attachment you have to games and, uh, and how really these games bring us all together. Every, yeah. every single person has a story. Mm. Uh, if they've grown up in the in the early 2000s about playing some of these games. And uh, I love hearing stories <laughs> like that yeah. with your dad playing Call of Duty on a treadmill. That's <laughs> yeah. amazing. Or stationary yeah. bike. <laughs> stationary, yeah. was, any uh, any story that I hear where like someone gets their parent who does, doesn't play video games to play one game just warms my heart so much because it's just like I've got we've got my mom to play Tetris once in a hospital because like 
my brother had pneumonia, so she played Tetris in the waiting room. My dad has never played a video game once. Uh, like maybe he <laughs> played an arcade game when he was a kid, but like I've never gotten him to play Mario Kart with me or James Bond. Like nothing. And uh, like maybe maybe I'll get him to play like MLB The Show. He's a huge <laughs> baseball fan. But just once, oh. once I just want to come into the room and see my dad playing a video game, I can't picture it. So like every time I hear somebody who gets their dad to or mom to play to play one of these random games when they were kids, it's just so cool to me. So love that. My story. mom loves Red Dead Redemption. <laughs> <laughs> she likes she likes westerns and she likes like, the horses. So she's uh she's a big Red Dead fan. Also, just like an aside, this this game really felt like Red Dead Redemption. That was that mm. was. Like looking back, because I played this game, uh, but looking back and watching gameplay again, I was like, "Yeah, this this reminds me of playing Red Dead too." Like, like you know, somewhat recently, it's the 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 camaraderie, the that you're like, when someone dies in your clan, you're like, "No, no, this is the worst thing ever. How can they die?" Yeah. So, uh, yeah, that's that was the first thing I thought of when I uh, rewatched it. But yeah, Spenny, it has been a great time having you on once again. Always a pleasure to chat with you, and uh, hopefully we will talk to you real soon. Yeah, let's do it again. Sweet. Take care, man. Awesome. What a nice young man. What a nice young man. Thank you, Spenny, for coming on, talking about Call of Duty, backing me up on uh, some of my claims of how much <laughs> I like Big Red One as well. And uh, yeah, it's it, these games are very unique because you don't really get this anymore where games are specifically made for the PC and then there's these other specific games made for uh consoles it's almost mm-hmm. reverse at this point yeah you, you guys made some really good points there about uh, big red one it's neat that it was a spin-off like we never really got like the official call of duty 2 on gamecube or nintendo hardware in general that kind of just stayed with pc and we got yeah. big red one which was really like a love letter to world war 2 and world war 2 games in general which yeah. you know you guys made some really interesting points there and I think that I will get a, get around to playing it at some point, picking it up from uh, ANC Games here in Toronto, because it does have a lot of similarities to Medal of Honor, which makes me yes. think that I'll probably enjoy it. That's why I like it a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. But but Mike, we have to finish off the episode here. But before we do, we have one more game to cover, and it's not exactly in the same genre of Call of Duty. But it's we- got like the three. It's got three words. <laughs> basically the same amount of syllables so basically. it's so close yeah, it's very it's, <laughs> didn't quite see the same success as call of duty did but the game that we're going to cover today just randomly we don't really know where else to put it to be honest is dead to rights which was released on november 25th 2002 the game is developed by namco home tech uh, it's published by namco in north america and by ea in europe which i found pretty interesting uh, it's also on PS2, Xbox, Game Boy Advance, and Windows. It rates an 8 out of 10, priced today at around $15. This game is a third-person shooter action game. It's exactly what you picture it when you think of a game called Dead to Rights, published by Namco. Uh, and Playboy gave this game an 85%, Mike. I think Maxim also gave this game a 10 out of 10, Neil. Uh, I have played Dead to Rights thanks to a friend of the show, patron, uh, Jed, uh, and he lent us his copy of it. And 85% is a very high rating. 8 out of 10, I was actually like flabbergasted that this this game is rated 8 out of 10. It doesn't really? age well for a number of reasons. Um, oh. But um, if you do want a really fun kind of, you know, uh, guns a-blazing game where you're just constantly shooting people, uh, mm. you're, the story doesn't make any sense, but that's fine. Like the gameplay is fun enough. Like this is the game for you, for sure. Just a, yeah. just a good time to sit down and, and play. It is an M-rated game. Uh, and so with this, uh, we have a lot of uh, stripper scenes and, and, and he, like, there's a couple like at the beginning of the game, he goes to a strip club and uh, he has to go around the bouncers. So you play as a stripper uh, to distract 
uh, the bouncers, and you have to play this DDR kind of style game <laughs> to uh, to make them uh, look away while you are the um, the main guy is sneaking around <laughs> to to get behind them. This game is is not bad, like I said, but the controls are really where like it lets lets it down for me for sure. Um, okay, you have to shoot with A, and that oh, right no. away just took me out of it. And yeah. I'm sure, again, like at the time, there were more games that did that. There were a lot of games that didn't use the triggers for shooting. So I do understand, uh, because this is a relatively, this is what, 2003, you said? 2002, so it came out almost a year after the GameCube did. Yeah, so a very early GameCube game. So, and I'm, I'm sure they were developing, like they did develop it for other things too, uh, without thinking really about the GameCube triggers. So I can understand where they were coming from, but playing it again... 18 years later, like that hurts not being able to use those triggers. Uh, And X is your action button instead of A, right? Oh dear. And so you have to hold R like to aim. R is like the aim. So you just click it and then you get auto target and then you click A to shoot. So you're like, it's very easy. You're constantly killing people. Uh, it, it, it sort of reminds me of what we talked about back on the James Bond episode where we were talking about From Russia With Love and Everything or Nothing and how those games sort of paved the way so that we could get third-person action games like Resident Evil 4 and then later on Uncharted and Just Cause and Last of Us and games like that that you and I both love to play today. I think that if you looked at this game from a 2002 lens, that's probably where you're getting most of those eights from uh, just because this was something very new. Like we didn't have action 3D games like this on N64, certainly. More on PlayStation, uh, but the game had some funding behind it for eight years. Uh, the first game was an Xbox exclusive for a bit uh, before eventually being ported to GameCube and PS2. Oh, and so it was probably like 2001. So this is really like a 20-year-old yeah. game then. Yes, yeah. It's actually quite a bit older than than what we're thinking. So from a 2001 standpoint, the game is actually pretty good. Yeah, uh, you're right. Obviously it's, obviously, it's been improved on since then. But like I said, it got... A sequel, Dead to Rights 2 in 2005, and then it got a PSP spinoff called Dead to Rights Reckoning, uh, also in 2005, and then Dead to Rights Retribution on the PlayStation 3 and Xbox 360 in 2010. So the series really was nine years running, and it's only been uh, it's only been stagnant for about 11 years, which... This game is actually quite a bit more recent than what I thought, because I don't remember Dead to Rights anything on after this one. I've seen this case a lot of times in video game stores, yeah. but I feel like I've never seen Dead to Rights on PS3 or 360. I- I'm really happy that it, it actually has sequels, you know. Um, mm-hmm. uh, it deserves to, to get some recognition for sure. And especially like, yeah, like you said, it was released even before the 2002 version came out. So they mm-hmm. they did a good job for the time. It just, it's, it's really hard to play this today one of the things i really dislike about the game is the fact that you have a companion (laughs) you have a you have a dog named shadow and shadow can help you out in a whole bunch of different scenarios like sometimes you need to go through pipes sometimes you need to like knock over an enemy or something uh you can if shadow has enough stamina you can just tell him to go kill someone but he can just kill that one person until he gets his stamina back so his his gameplay is really interesting and i like it but the problem is is that Shadow is not on screen with you ever. Mm. He's only on screen when you call him and then you have to like he's just automatically automatically in his little little mini mission. Yeah. And I hate that. Uh, it would have been so much cooler if Shadow was just always walking with you. They almost had the opportunity to make this like a, a Twilight Princess yeah. kind of game, but playing it in uh, in a you know a 
dirty city, kind of like Gotham or New York, I guess. It's called Grant City. That's the name of this. It's a fictional city. Remind that... me of like Matrix, like, like mm-hmm. uh, huge Matrix vibes, dark dark city vibes. It's like neo. It's a neo noir, right? And... I'm sure that they probably wanted to have the dog on screen at all times and uh, to have it like as your companion, like a Zelda game. I think that that would have been really neat. Uh, one mechanic in the game, though, that I was somewhat interested by was the the bullet time. I don't know if this yeah. ended up playing very well, but <laughs> it's, it's okay. uh, yeah, it's really funny to watch it because you're holding Y when you're doing it, and uh, everything's like slowing down, and you're you're like diving in the air, and so you can be <laughs> if you're uh, if you're not like if you're actually shooting, you're you're diving, uh, and then okay. if you're uh, trying to avoid the bullets, you're going back like the Matrix. But um, okay. picture polygonal animation from 2001. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and then put that into a game like this and uh yeah. yeah you can kind of figure out what you'd get nice concept though because like we said yeah. how it's very heavily influenced by the matrix the matrix was very big still in 2001 the, the trilogy was still being made uh so bullets being slowed down and time being bent and everything was was very trendy for the late 90s early 2000s and it was it was eventually improved upon in games like max Payne. yes uh, and even indie games nowadays love to make games where you can kind of manipulate time and space uh, it's, a, it's a fun game mechanic honestly i wish that they it, it was used more unfortunately it's not it was used in goldeneye rogue agent but uh, we don't <laughs> like that game uh the game draws inspiration from uh hong kong action cinema uh the the category would be or the genre would be gung fu yeah gung fu like uh, john wick is is an yes. example of like a westernized version of that mm-hmm so yeah so like what right when i read that i kind of thought of you mike right away because you like sleeping dogs which is it's not like inspired by those movies, but it is it's Hong Kong. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's Hong Kong. Yeah. Uh, so I thought maybe this game might appeal to you, but it doesn't sound like that. It's uh, it is very comparable to Sleeping Dogs. It's n- no, no. <laughs> it's it's fun to play for like for an hour or two. Like it's it's not a bad game. And again, I have to give it credit for being for doing what they did in two thousand one. But it just it's just very difficult to play something like this now when you have so many other games. Like you, you yeah. said it perfectly, Neil. Max Payne. Is, is a mm-hmm. great example of, of an evolution of this kind of game. Uh, mm-hmm. And, you know, if you really want to play a game like this, Max Payne is is, is where you, you want to find yourself. Um, sure. I, I definitely got, yeah, John Wick vibes as well. And because you're a cop and the, the story is absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> sure, let's talk about the plot. Yeah. Uh, I, I, you, you like you're doing the, the tutorial mission and then you just like have a little cutscene, and then you find your dad dead. Uh, mm-hmm. And like the way you say it, it's just like so like, oh, yeah, it's my dad. He's dead. <laughs> and like, yeah. Okay, and and you have the voiceover, so like a, it's all very neo noir. The music, you know, the the settings, they do a really good job in that. Uh, and so yeah, you have to go after this guy because you're trying to figure out how, who killed your dad, and you're a cop, and so uh, you're fighting uh, all the corruption as well here because these cops are in on it. So it's it's an interesting story. It's it's pretty ridiculous most of the time, but. Uh, it keeps you engaged. That's what video games are meant to do. So that that's that's fine. Yeah, like the enemy AI also is not very good. Like there's just no. there's just oh, things God, that we just no. couldn't do yet in 2001. Even the uh, the voice acting, the voice acting is fine. It's just the audio quality is very condensed. And yes. it sounds like it sounds like you're recording it from a a Nokia cell phone, a Nokia flip phone. It, you're recording it from the Engage. Yeah, you're recording it on the Nokia Engage and then uh, and then sending it via your uh, your email on your Palm Pilot or whatever. So. Uh, yeah, that, that doesn't really come across super well, but you know, it was early on in, yeah. in video games still. So, uh, one thing that I found really interesting about this game, and it doesn't have much to do about the game just before we close out is, uh, the game used something called star force protection program. 
I found this in my, hmm. my research, and I knew nothing about this. No. Uh, Starforce Protection Program is a Russian software developer in Moscow, and they create protection programs against unauthorized copying and, uh, like, stealing the game, like, okay. copying it. Uh, and uh, when like Starforce... Anti-piracy, yeah. It was an anti-piracy program from the 2000s, and I think they're still around now. Uh, but when Starforce 3.0 was released, um, it initially provided extremely strong protection, and uh, it it was used in uh, Tom Clancy's Splinter Cell games, mm. um, specifically Splinter Cell Chaos Theory, uh, which was uncracked for 422 days, which I guess is like a record for that game <laughs> or for that time. So it, it they marked a very significant step forward in piracy in video games. Uh, but some gamers have advocated that... Uh, that developers do not use Starforce because they claim that it is uh, it's malware. Like it's, oh, okay. It causes viruses yeah. and everything. And they've had a lot of allegations uh, mm. against them over the years. Uh, lawsuits in the millions of dollars uh, in 2006 uh, between them and Ubisoft. <laughs> um, so it's just like this interesting program that I found because we don't really talk about piracy a lot. Like it, no. And, and, and uh, copywriting and everything like that. Like games weren't copied very easily on GameCube. That was one of the reasons why Nintendo used the mini discs. But I had never heard of this company, Starforce. Uh, but I believe that they're still around today, um, even though they – I think they only exist uh, out east though. So if we have any Russian listeners or anybody from Europe, perhaps they know a little bit more about this company. Uh, I picture them being like the McAfee of Russia. <laughs> Yikes. <laughs> <laughs> and in case you're wondering, the GBA game is a uh, is a top-down version of the game. It's not a first-person shooter. I got excited. But, uh, <laughs> sadly, it's a top-down version of the game. Yeah. Well, Neil, uh, I have the back of a case here. So would you like me to read it? Yeah, please, please do. Let me hear that crack, though, real quick. Oh, of course. Nice. Okay, go for it, Mike. <laughs> uh, also, the, the manual is a better cover than the case, I will say that. Oh. Yeah, it's just... It just that's, never, that's never good. <laughs> <laughs> it just has him looking way more... It, honestly, it looks like Max Payne, kind of on the front. He's He's got both his guns, and he's shooting them, hmm. uh, which is probably why he couldn't have it on the cover, because he's actually shooting the guns rather than just holding it. Um, and the dog is also there. So is it a cute dog? Is it a good dog? Yeah, it's like a husky. Oh, okay. I like huskies. That's good. Yeah, that's good. Okay, cool. Meet Jack Slate, a cop on the beat in Grant City, unaware that his next call is about to change his life. What he discovers will send him on a downward spiral into a labyrinth of corruption, betrayal, and crime. A supercharged action noir thriller, Dead to Rights, goes beyond Hollywood's best action movies, the gripping storyline, the larger-than-life action hero, and the adrenaline-charged experience deliver the performance of a lifetime. All that's missing is you. No, I'm not missing from this game. And the, uh, the, 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 the thing here says, uh, one good cop, one very bad situation. <laughs> man that that does not time that does not pull me in at all one thing that i want to say about this game though real quick before we move on to our closing thoughts is uh i was watching the opening uh cut scene, i guess and the dialogue the inner like the monologues that the character has to himself yeah it reminded me of fight club yes uh, edward norton trying to it reminded me of edward norton's mo- inner monologues from fight club and i was just like is this edward norton it's not i forget who the actor is playing the main character there but uh it did remind me a lot of fight club it's very similar i mean fight club just came out a year or two before so i'm sure it was inspired by it all right mike that's a pretty good conversation on uh, call of duty and uh, and dead to rights so uh, why don't we close out the episode the way we always do with our closing thoughts so let's start with uh, where do you see call of duty going forward not in general because obviously call of duty is going to keep coming out every year until the day we die it will outlive us and i have come to terms with that a long time ago where do you see it going on uh, nintendo consoles because it's been a long time since we saw a call of duty game on nintendo it was on the wii u no one bought it 
And since then, nope. And since then, we've seen nothing. There was no Call of Duty game on 3DS. There's hasn't been one on Switch yet. Do you think that we'll ever see one come out, like a future Call of Duty game come out on Switch? Or do you think that they might port an older game to Switch? I would... That's a good question because, yeah, I'm glad that you asked that one and not will Call of Duty exist. Uh, yeah. uh, it, it's, uh, it's a good question because I, I'm not sure. I honestly don't know. I think yeah. we'll eventually get a Call of Duty on a Nintendo console at some point for like uh, for some remaster. Um, you know, maybe a couple of weeks ago I would have said no for the Switch, but we did recently get the Rockstar, uh, the uh, GTA trilogy. That's coming out, I think, you know, maybe this week or now, or, or it's quite soon that Vice yep. City, San Andreas, and 3 are all coming out. And I thought that was impossible. I thought that would never happen. That might be, like, even crazier to me than seeing Sephiroth in Smash. <laughs> I, I, Rockstar and Nintendo, as we talked about on the Rockstar and the M-rated game episode, they do not yeah. have a good relationship. So yeah. uh, it was kind of cool to see that. So if that can happen, you mm-hmm. know, who knows? Maybe we will see a Modern Warfare maybe modern warfare trilogy or something like that come out mm-hmm. for the uh for the switch we we got the modern warfare remaster a couple of years ago but i believe that was like just was when it? the switch came out um yeah. uh so it was i feel like if the switch was out at that time it would have come out for it but yeah i i i'd like to th- i don't think we're going to see a new one uh no. maybe ever uh but i think we will probably see a remastered version of some sort come out for the switch yeah, your only chance of seeing a new Call of Duty game on Switch is if they do one of these spin-off games again, like Big Red One, Finest Hour, yeah. or R- Road to Victory, like was on PSP. But I don't think Activision are going to do something like this again. No. I think they're just going to stick with making their their one COD game a year, and it's going to be mainly focused on the online multiplayer, which we know Switch could not could not possibly hold. It's not a like, great I don't game think... for Switch. That's the thing, right? Like... No, it's not a great service for Switch. Like Call of Duty is a service at this point now. Like it's, <laughs> yeah, it's beyond yeah. gra- beyond graphics and controls and and. 4k resolution it's it's the online multiplayer experience which i don't think the switch is capable of doing maybe nintendo's next console will be a little bit better at providing a better online experience i i think that the only chance of you seeing a call of duty game on nintendo hardware again is if they can make a decent or remake a decent campaign to put on switch and maybe have local multiplayer with very small rooms for online multiplayer and i think what you said with the modern warfare trilogy i think that's got your best chance of being on switch because they can just do something with the xbox 360 and ps3 version it doesn't need to be the ps4 and xbox one version really it doesn't have to look that good Mm -hmm. uh because i i I'm not sure if the Switch could run it, to be honest. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But after talking with you and Spenny about uh, Big Red One, I would love to see that game get remade and, and or ported to Switch at some point. Like, put put some of these older games out again. Activision does not go back to the well, though, uh, very often no. with their old games. Uh, like, we've talked about Treyarch a bunch today, and they did all the early Spider-Man games, and we haven't seen anything like that uh, come out since uh, since the 2000s. So Also, I just thought of uh, Call of Duty War Zones, which is the Battle Royale for Call of Duty, oh, which we haven't even really mentioned, which has a huge, huge player base. Uh, it does. Uh, like, over 100 million people play it. Uh, and that could... That's probably the one thing I actually could see coming to the Switch. Yeah, something like... like I can't believe I'm saying this, but something like what Bomberman did earlier this year, or Tetris, Tetris 99. 99. Yeah. Call of Duty 99, 99, which is Call like of Call of Duty, Duty War Zones, you know? That's, yeah, yeah. I think that developers, publishers can maybe experiment that a little bit more. Like, just make quick experiences that someone can play, like, 
you know, maybe not a hundred people, but maybe it's you know, a little Call of Duty, bite-sized Call of Duty game that gets put out on Switch. It's it's a D-Day level or it's, you know, a hundred people on a map and you fight against each other, you know, like like Capture the Flag or something, like a micro yeah. Mario Party, WarioWare style of Call of Duty game. Like, make it fun. It's a game. We're not playing these games for historical references or anything anymore. Like, j- just put something out there. Like, Bomberman did insanely well on Switch and Tetris 99 is still played by- Just give me Nazi zombies. As the, I mean, that's what we played all Ooh. the time uh, at lunch. We didn't even talk about we that. We didn't even talk about that because it's not in these games. Yeah. So, no, uh, yeah. but but like that was a huge new thing. You know, just this extra mode that they added that became a sensation, and and that sold that sold units. Like people bought <laughs> Call of Duty just to play zombies. Yes, of course. Yeah, it was a huge thing, and and yeah. um, many games have copied that style. So, uh, you know, say what you will about Call of Duty and its annualization, but it is a pioneer in so many different things and you know a lot of that is due to Treyarch uh, obviously Infinity Ward at the start as well but um, yeah it's when you have a good developer who will you know do their homework and and create new experiences as much as they can within that pretty confined box of what Call of Duty is uh, you're going to get games that will keep selling and keep doing relatively okay critically so yeah no they're they're not stupid at activision like i know that love them or hate them like obviously there's reasons to hate them these days they have had many controversies over the years and uh it's well, unfortunate blizzard but, like, i think they're... is worse than activision they're together yes, now but true. they're still like you know it's not like they all are merged together like activision that's still true. has its own staff and that's stuff true. right so but it, it is in the gaming community like it's cool to hate call of duty it seems like yes like, you know you go to these gaming expos and everyone talks about the the nerdier games, like, you know, there's Zelda and, and Skyrim and all those games. But, like, if you went, like, cosplaying as a... Like, no one cosplays as a Call of Duty character. <laughs> well, you can't. Uh, you, you, oh, sure you can, well, but you don't. Yeah, yeah, I don't know like, what you would you don't, do. So. Like, yeah, it's just a but, soldier. But, like, you know, <laughs> these games are insanely popular. Activision are not dumb. They know what they're doing. They have an incredible business model set up. And if anybody out there could possibly come anywhere close to implementing it, you would in a heartbeat. So... Yep. Uh, take that. Mike, what do you think is going to happen with Dead to Rights? Is that coming back? Quick answer, yes or no. <laughs> oh, oh, you mean the the other Call of Duty game that we talked yes. about today? Yeah, yeah. Uh, with the... Uh, uh, it's... I said quick answer, yes or no. <laughs> I know, I know. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Because I, I actually I actually think it will. Because oh, God. I know. Really? Uh, because it has... This is a... Uh, like you said for the Dead to Rights part that we talked about, like you said that this game has only been out out of the, the market for 11 years. That's quite mm-hmm. small amount of time for these GameCube games that we've talked about. Most of these games True. were like, they're never coming back. They got, you know, Beautiful Joe, for example, you know, it's last game mm-hmm. is in 2005. Like, we think That's that will come back, but who knows? Dead to Rights got a, got a trilogy, got a third game in 2010. So yeah. I think it could come back. I think there's there might be room for it as a budget title. It could. I mean, Namco's got, they've got money. So if they want to ever reach into the well and bring it out, you might see like a Steam collection at some point. I think that might be the best we ever see. But yeah, nothing's ever dead anymore. And nothing ever, I love nothing's see- ever dead to rights anymore. Nothing. Oh, I love that. <laughs> nothing's ever dead to rights anymore. So yeah, you'll probably see it again. Maybe not as a dead to rights for, I think a, a collection of some kind yeah. is likely. Uh, a new game, probably not. No. But I, I love this future that we live in where games could come back at any day. De- on any day, check Twitter and there's a remake of something coming out. So of the games that we talked about today, Mike, are there any... Th- are there any that you would recommend the listeners out there pick up? I would absolutely recommend pick up Call of Duty 2 Big Red One. Uh, it uh, it still plays relatively well for 2021. It's uh, it's a it's a good game. It's a good story because that's what you're really playing buying it for is the story. If, if you want to play just a generic Call of Duty game, of course there's many many more that are better than that in terms of the gameplay. But for the story, for the action, for everything that makes these early Call of Duty games great, 
Big Red One has it. Yeah, I'm looking for Big Red One now. Next time we go to a video game store, I'll be looking for that game uh, for sure. It's not too expensive. It looks like a really fun game. Spenny said it, it's pretty difficult game too, which is nice. I'm always looking mm-hmm. for a challenge in my video games. So uh, I already have Finest Hour in my collection. So it'd be nice to have all the Call of Duty games there. And uh, you and I cannot play them together. So that's fun. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> but Michael, we're playing Call of Duty on separate CRT TVs in our parents' <laughs> basement. Why don't you let the listeners know what they can expect next week on episode 72 of the GameCube was Cool podcast. On episode 72, we talk about one of my favorite games of all time. It's Mario Power Tennis. Such a good game. Wiggler for the win. Uh, Mm. I I love this game. It is the epitome of what a good arcade sports game should be. And tennis Mm. is always a weird one. We talked about tennis just briefly uh, a couple months ago in the summer when we talked about um, the WTA Tour uh, one. And and, uh, that was not a good game. But yeah, this this (laughs) I I can play this any point, any time. It's so much fun to pick up and I can't wait to talk about it. Yeah, we've had a few Mario Tennis games over the years. We recently got one on Switch back in 2018, I want to say. And uh, I remember playing that game and thinking it was fine. I had fun with it for a few weeks and haven't played it since. I know that they've had many updates since then. And I I popped back in Mario Power Tennis just last weekend to prepare for next week's episode just to get a little bit of a head start. And I was like, oh, my God, this is a game. Like, it's (laughs) just so much fun. They have not found a way to make that game twice. So (laughs) I'm very excited to talk about it next week. Uh, There's going to be a lot to talk about. But until then, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for listening to episode 71 of the GameCube is Cool podcast. New episode every Thursday on all the major podcast services. Leave us ratings and reviews so we can make the show better. If you want to support the show, you can find us on patreon we are the gamecube was cool then you can follow us on instagram for free we are at the gamecube pod share us with your friends and family tell spenny's dad mike says hi thank you so much for the support and we will see you next week take care bye-bye killing nazis